You're listening to Diplomatic Dispatch, brought to you by Idea Farm Malaysia. Get updates on our upcoming episodes and programs via our website at www.ideafar.gov.my or follow us on our social media at Ideafar Malaysia. Hello all and welcome back to another episode of Diplomatic Dispatch. I am Jasmine Jawhar, your host for this session. Today we are delighted and honoured to have Her Excellency Mazita Marzuki, the current High Commissioner of Malaysia to New Zealand. Her Excellency will share her experience as a first-time ambassador and a woman in diplomacy. Welcome, Your Excellency, and thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Thank you to you and the team. <laughs> thank you. Um, I know, I know, I may be months too late here, but I would still like to congratulate you on your credential as the High Commissioner of Malaysia to New Zealand on fifteen March, twenty twenty-three. Right? Yes, that was the credential date. Thank you so much. I think it is only natural that we begin with your role as High Commissioner of Malaysia to New Zealand. And in taking up this role, um, Your Excellency, how would you describe the prominent differences in being a first-time ambassador compared to your previous posts? Honestly, um, there is no prominent differences with regard to the work itself, as I was already the HOM in Melbourne. But if the title itself befitting the question then the prominent differences would be the level of representation that I carry, the you know the responsibilities that entails in being the representation of Malaysia in New Zealand, what what is expected of me you know as the, the representation of Yanipetuan Agong as the prominent differences. So it's more of like the level of representation that would be the prominent differences. When you talk about work, work is as usual. There is an SOP, there is a HOM KPI that we have to adhere to to reach the objective. So it's it's more or less set. The extra mile is depending on you. I see. So it's yeah. the same when when you were the CG in Melbourne and when you were the High Commissioner to New Zealand. The the KPI is the same, the role is basically the same because you're heading a Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And if I may add, I think uh, being the Consul General in Melbourne, it is more challenging because we're dealing with 54,000 Malaysian diaspora there. Compared to here, we have only 17,000 uh, Malaysian. So you see, sometimes you can, you know, Consul General has that uh, challenging uh, responsibilities as well. Yeah. But of course, like I said, so the prominent differences would be the level of representation. So High Commissioner, you earn a different level of respect. You are in a different uh, cohort, if I may. Okay, any anecdotes you may have since arriving in New Zealand? My gosh, anecdotes can be defined in so many ways. Can, yes. can be, uh, <laughs> it can be interesting, it can be uh, life-challenging. Well, to me, it's the traffic, <laughs> which is non-existence. Can you imagine? Like in Melbourne, I had to really plan my movement but in New Zealand, it is so calm. Well, Wellington, case in point. Auckland is very similar to Kuala Lumpur. It is very congested. So to me, if there's that anecdote, that would be that. And, and I felt calmer here because I could really plan my travel. You know, if I have a meeting in Parliament, for example, I can leave within um, 50 minutes prior to the, to the event time. And I'll reach there on time. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> Yeah, and you don't have any, you know, um, you may plan the extra minutes for congestion, for example, in, when you were in Melbourne. Of course, yeah, it, yeah. You still, you still may not be able to reach on time as planned. 
because true. the congestion may may be you know even worse than you thought, right? True, true, yes. <laughs> so really, I, love I I would love to have that kind of you know traffic here in Kuala Lumpur. I take one and a half hours from my home in Kaja to oh. IDF to Kuala yeah. Lumpur. So every day, you know, and yeah. it affects you. Your it affects your your day. So yeah. if you can yeah. have a you know yeah. plan a good plan of traveling. Right. Correct. New Zealand in Wellington where you are now, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's important. You know, that mental stress, traffic, Absolutely. it does. That defines Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um okay. Um going into our next question, Ambassador. Um as a lady diplomat, mm. uh can you share with us a time in your career when you came up against the classic glass ceiling? Uh, and how did you overcome it? Mm, okay, this is a, a tough one, yeah. So I think I'm going to be very uh, transparent. I think if I may share, okay. Firstly, firstly, I must say, I um personally am very much uh, fortunate as throughout my career with Isma Putra, my bosses has been nothing but encouraging. You know, um, I can name one, yeah. Um, I don't know, Jasmine, whether you know Arwah Datu Ahmad Jazri. He was my first undersecretary. So truthfully, I remembered, um, this is after I had proven my work. Of course, you got to prove your work, right? Um, then he started to share with me. He said at that time, OIC division was in dire need of officer. So HR informed him that there is uh, this lady officer that just reported duty. So they were saying that, can she do OIC? So then Arwah said, if I may quote, Arwah said, uh, exact word in Malay, lelaki ke, perempuan ke, sama je, asalkan boleh kerja. And to me, that's equality at its best, right? And I've been blessed ever since, um, you know, with, with good bosses who who understand, who understand women, who understand how we do our work. We probably are different in the way we lead, but then uh, they would always um, look into the job rather than the person or the individual. But um, uh, retrospectively, though, I did face challenges as HOM whereby the leadership that was expected by certain people was how they are used to. If I may be transparent about this, this invisible barrier is the hard part. You see, they want to acknowledge you as a woman and as their boss, but they want you to conform to how they perceive leaders should be. Okay, if you understand this. I had this one situation whereby one of the staff came to me with family issues. So this is a long story behind it, but then I teared up uh, a little bit, being a mother and organ, I felt it. So this officer saw that and found out later on to him, it was a sign of witnesses. And his perspective was he can't impose discipline when we, the management, or I rather, reacted as such. Well, the last I remembered, I was the one that issued warning letters to those that failed to perform accordingly, accordance with the local labor law, to the same person that I shed tears with to show compassion. So leadership skills differs. How I choose to lead is my way. And it is clearly stated in the Madani reform on the normalcy of Ihsan and the value add of Ihsan that our PM clearly defined, right? So that omnipresent resistance for women leadership is hidden, but it can be felt at times though, yeah? So to overcome, there is no easy way. You just have to hold your ground. You've got to be brave. You've got to focus on the matter and you've got to tackle it head on. And and I think you're able to balance work and family very well, Ambassador. I must say, 
Um, and and uh, do you find how how in that sense? I mean, we're going to mix a bit of work and sure. private life here. Yeah. How do you balance that family and work? Ooh, family and work. Okay. Well, um, family and work. So this is a typical day at work, right? Okay. Correct. Okay. Typical day would be. <laughs> is all about decision making of all sorts you know giving clarity to the team on issues and then of course you may you may have invites for luncheons dinners receptions and community engagement you tend to all that but for me i try my best to ensure i follow my exercise routine you know either early in the morning or after work and that is um jasmine it's it's for my sanity yes for my sanity so that that's that's what balance to me is all about you know um with children uh my my children uh are at the moment experiencing adulthood so now i don't have to worry about you know sending them to kitty and whatnot you know i am a bit relaxed in that sense so it's just my hubby and i here so i try to spend quality time with him now as much as i could and still face time with my children every week also so balancing your life is actually entirely up to you it's you. You define it. When you are organized, you will have the time. If not, you will witness life crumble right in front of you. Then you will see everyone else is at fault, including life itself. But reali reality is, it's you. You created it. So you got to be organized in everything you do. Because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Absolutely. Well said, Ambassador. We need to, to make sure that we are mentally fit and physically fit to make sure that we can balance both eh? work right. and, yeah. and personal life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think you have to learn from the Western country about uh, something is hard, isn't it? You know, the system itself is as such, right? you you got to perform, you, you got to deliver. True. But then again, productivity comes when you're, you, are, you are fit. You are fit means... means body, soul, mental, everything, then then that's productivity. So if bosses can't see that, see, that's what, what women give. We understand that because we multitask. We juggle 2,000 things a day and people don't see that, right? Absolutely. I agree with you, Ambassador. They don't see it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think Jasmine will start to do it. All right. <laughs> but it, it is what it is, you know, because we do it effortlessly. Effortlessly, sorry. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, no problem? Yeah, there is problems, but no, we got to move on, right? Life goes but on. They gotta cook. Children's got to eat. Husband got to eat. Oh, my yeah. God. Can you do Uber? Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, Master. Um, You know, another thing that I always notice, you know, especially uh, when it comes to, to how women are perceived, if you are for example, showing a little bit of emotions in a meeting, for example, you yeah. are you are seen as emotional. But if yeah. a man does it, it's passionate. You know, they have passion for that work kind of thing. You know, sometimes I feel that way, the, the difference. Last year, you know, IDFR was honoured to receive um, Her Excellency, the Honourable Nanaya Mahuta, the Foreign Minister of New Zealand, um, to deliver a lecture for the first time ever at IDFR. So we were very honoured. Um, she spoke on a very interesting topic, Ambassador. Foreign yeah. policy of small states. And in yeah. her remarks, Minister Mahuta mentioned, among other things, yeah. the strength in the uniqueness of New Zealand 
towards Indigenous peoples and in Malaysia's rich diversity, which, which both uh, could, could be harnessed and make a huge impact in the international arena. So in this regard, uh, Your Excellency, what are some of your observations on Indigenous empowerment in New Zealand and how can they be applied in Malaysia? Okay. Um, yeah, that is a serious question, which is absolutely true, though. There is so many observations. And usually, the first observation that I, I observe, everyone will start with the word kyora, like we do assalamualaikum, or we do, you know, uh, in whichever language you may. But everyone says kyora, means hello, you know, good health upon you, however you want to look at it. So for New Zealand, the indigenous Polynesian people is the famous Maori, as everyone is well aware. You can literally observe the indigenous empowerment at different level of government and all level of their daily lives. Of course, at the government level, um, it has proven since the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi in 1841 and, and as the treaties um, evolve till date. See, the objective are to ensure that the Maori achieve uh, social justice. Interestingly, the evolution encapsulates the mindset of the generation. Hence, you will see the culture is embedded in their everyday lives. Like what um, I just said just now, the salutation, the greetings, the mixed language that they use. The translation of the Maori language is everywhere, Jasmine. You can come here, you'll see it everywhere. Every single uh, um, signage, there will be the, the Maori language uh, below it, right? So you cannot and will not miss it. And I and to me, and call it a reform, if you like, when in 2017, the Ministry of Maori Crown Relations was established. But more to mediate the treaty, but under the former FM Jacinta Arden in 2020, the role was not just to mediate, but to ensure that the government honours the settlement and do more to engage the iwi and the Maori people. Iwi is a tribe. Maori is a people, yeah? So even in the public service, okay, this is interesting. Even in the public service, the new Public Service Act 2020, an act that was championed by Peter Hughes, whom I met recently, amazing guy, outlined the importance of the Maori crown relations and the role of public servants to have their POA to build that relation. So now question is, all of that we learn, right? But then how do, do we, Malaysian, learn from it? You see, it doesn't have to be only the role of the government. You can put it in, in whatever act, whatever, but then we ourselves, it has to start with each and every one of us to realize that we need to embrace the existing diversity. And we can, we can make a difference. You can make a difference within your capacity. So I think each and every one of us, if we understand um, about our indigenous people and we want to enhance it, on the visibility part of it, then we have to start. You have to start. It's not just about, uh, you know, the Malay, the Chinese and the Indians. It's also about the indigenous. But then how do you incorporate that? That will be a, a different conversation which I think it would be good to have, looking into what New Zealand has been doing thus far. Yeah, they have many tribes as well. But they, they have, they take one similar language, then they use it. You gotta cultivate this. It takes a generation, but you gotta do it. Yeah. So language is what binds them together. Yeah. Different Even the language. simplest, the simplest language, which is this, the salutation itself. Yeah, Kyora. Everyone says Kyora. And and whenever you start your speech, you have this um 
this language that you say, tinakato, uh, tinakato, tinakato katoa. Even for me, you know, whenever I make a speech, um, you know, you, you respect the 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 host country, you'll you'll say that as well. Yeah, of course, I will say salam, uh, you know, Malaysia Madani, but then I will say that as well. But maybe that salam Malaysia Madani is is the word that we we should you know we should sort of like you know uh, you know have it here, you know, rather than just have it here in your mouth. Can you gotta you gotta keep it with you? But then again, does that represent indigenous? Yeah, that is something that we need to look into. Actually. Exactly, exactly. And, and I yeah. think this is an absolutely important um, idea that that we need to take something that is common to each of the yeah not to everyone. Race, right? race, yeah, the meeting point. Where is yeah. the meeting point? What is the meeting point? So you know we have different races here, and we also have the indigenous. Group. So where, right. where, 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 where do we find that com commonality? I think we should find a commonality. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, because uh, Samat Pagi, then you know, we say we have, you know, but then is, does that, you know, represent the whole of Malaysia? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a question mark there. Yeah, yeah. A good question that we should really ponder and look into. Um, right. You know. Thank you for that, Ambassador. I think we're now down to, to the last question, actually. Um, ah. and, um, what advice would you give to future generations of women in diplomacy who wish to follow in your footsteps? Okay. Well, if that question relates to the work itself, then diplomacy is non-gender. Yeah? Be it at the bilateral or multilateral front, we know our position and being diplomats, we have to uphold that position at the international stage. That is clear. How you do it, the end result is imperative. But if the question relates to being women in the diplomatic world, where, whereby in some countries are still being dominated by men, then my humble advice would be to be very, very brief, to think big and to be in that role. Don't apologize for getting there but prove that you are there to make that change. To achieve that goals or KPI or more, you want the community to feel your existence, not just to see it. Uh, that's the distinct difference between the outcome and the output. Please get that right. <laughs> uh, usually we get it wrong all the time, right? Yeah, all the time yeah. we get confused, right? Mm, correct. Yeah, if you make the community feel your existence, then they know the embassy is there for what for reasons. Not just, you know, not just to to adhere to their consular needs, but they're there to engage. You know? Uh, if not, if they just see it and do, they don't understand and they don't feel your existence, uh, then you're gone to me. All right. Well, I can outline all the great management tools and books, but then what separates women in advocating diplomacy would be the element of compassion. Never, never lose that, no matter what people say. Do not obdurate as it doesn't work with the current generation. A cohort that I don't belong to, what more future generations. Create sense of, um, how shall I say this? Create sense of uh, um, ebullience, if I may, in workplace. Hence, you will increase productivity. Because that is what diplomacy is all about. We talk about external diplomacy, which is your work. But with your teammates, you forgot. That's the diplomacy that you have to create first. Then the whole team move with you. 
I see. I know that means spot on, Ambassador, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's the crucial part. And then after you've done all that, you have to embrace the success, my dear. Enjoy the journey. Stay oh. true to what you believe in. It's not, not going to be easy. Not going to be easy. Trust me. I've had my share of challenges. It's not it, it's not beautiful. It's hard. But um, you know, well, nothing is at the end of the day, right? Life is at such. Yeah. You know, if I may leave with, you know, I may leave the viewers or the audience or the listeners with this. Listen to this. Small minds discuss people. Big minds discuss events. Great minds discuss ideas, discuss strategic plans. The bigger picture. The choice is yours. Wonderful. What a wonderful end to this um, podcast, Ambassador. Thank you so much for uh, the advice. I think it's really, really important that listeners and you know uh, and the future generation um, understand that it's it's yeah. it's you know. Um, and and the thing about you, I I you know we've been together for at CSF for many years. Um, and the thing that I could really learn from you and admire you about is your determination. Once mm. you set your mind to something, and you will never stop until you get it. And you get me into trouble at some point sometimes, but no, but, but you but, believe in the, the end result, right? It's all about the end result. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ambassador. And 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 thank you. Um very much. We have come to the end. Um, thank you once again, um, Your Excellency, for such an insightful sharing of your experience as the High Commissioner of Malaysia to New Zealand. We truly, truly appreciate your time uh, this today. And and with this concludes this episode of IDM Press Diplomatic Dispatch. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode and we hope to see you on the next one. Thank you. Thank you. Tune in for more episodes of the IDFR podcast Diplomatic Dispatch. Thank you for listening.